Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and I'm here with the host of the 430 movie. Steve Melching. Darren Dockerman. Ashley Miller. And Mark A. Altman. And now you can watch us on the Electric Now channel, available on DistroTV, Zumo, and Stir, and soon on the Electric Now app. Check us out wherever you watch podcasts. Hey, if you want to watch a great podcast that none of us are on, check out Best Movies Never Made, available every other Monday from screenwriter Josh Miller and producer Steven Scarlatta as they go behind the scenes of some of the greatest movies never made with fantastic guests like Steve Melching, Ashley Miller, and a lot of other people you have heard of. And not Darren Doctorman. Yet. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'll be on the show. They just invited me to be on an episode about James Bond. I wonder why. Maybe it's because I have a new book out called Nobody Does It Better, The Oral History of James Bond, available now wherever you get your books. Hello, my name is... I'm so intimidated by our guests, I can't even uh, introduce them right. Hello, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, they're back. <laughs> In the center ring. In the center <laughs> ring for the next installment of this contest of wills. First of all, I got Ashley E. Miller, returning champion. He's back. He's here. He's ready to talk Trek. Mr. Ashley Miller, welcome. Bullshit. Hey, and... oh, hey watch it. <laughs> Joining us. I'm quoting Star Trek. I'm doing lines Back here. in the arena for some more bread and circuses. Arena. The first citizen. <laughs> you know him as Movie Mance. We know him as Scott Mance, Trek enthusiast extraordinaire. Welcome back, Scott Mance. He's back. He's back in front of the party. Back to talk about the greatness of the Kelvin Timeline Star Trek movies because we just had so much to talk about the last time with Star Trek 2009. We didn't even get into 2013 Star Trek Into Darkness. We didn't and even thanks get for joining us, Scott. Into 2016 Star Trek it's Beyond. It's a shame we have no more time. I'd, I'd just like to point out that we let <laughs> Scott and no Darren time. sit next to each other again. I, I know. We're going to have to break them up. It's but okay. Before, <laughs> we, before we go there, before we go there, we have a new thing we're doing on the show. A new thing. A new thing. What's all this about a new thing? Well, you know, Is it as viewer we, mail? In, it's viewer, well, it's viewer <laughs> mail. Uh, we've all encouraged you in the past to uh, uh, rate us on iTunes uh, to bring other people to the show. The show's been doing really, really well, and, and we appreciate your support. We really do. And so we're going to read each week. Uh, a couple of reviews, if we can read uh, them, from our fans. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read a few samples right now. This is from. Um, God damn it. Use your word. I have to do the same thing. This with my is glasses, from uh, by the way. <laughs> John Hazard. Okay, and John Hazard, thank you for this lovely five star review, John Hazard. He says these guys know their Star Trek. And they interview some of the most amazing Trek insiders, and like Scott, Scott Mance. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, the geeky references, clever humor, and little-known insights fly at you at warp speed. Educational as well as entertaining. Heartfelt nostalgia. So much fun. Thank you, John. That's really cool. There you go. Now, That's the, Huckman, the way to do that. The Huckman. The Huckman? The Huckman, or says, the Huckman? With the Huckman. I, 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 That's a new DC movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. That Martin Scorsese it's was It's the sequel not, to well, The Irishman. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the crew aboard the podcast ship is excellent. The crew aboard the podcast ship is excellent. Okay. As a lifelong trekker, not trek enthusiast, mind you, it is so satisfying to hear true fans talk like true fans. 
They tackle each topic with the kind of gusto you can only find in a Captain Kirk flying kick to the face. I like that. <laughs> the best part of finding a great podcast like this a little later, I get to binge a whole bunch before running out, which will soon happen. So beam aboard the show. It's the pond far of all Star Trek podcasts without the seven-year wait for satisfaction. Oh. And when we get together, it's the Kuna Talafi. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> At least he didn't say Citizen Kane. Okay, now not all the reviews are great, although I must say we have an average of five out of five stars, which is lovely. But not here's a two star review, and okay. I think it's only fair oh. that we share our detractors fair. as well as our fans. But remember, we will chide you if you write one. This is from McDuck1977. And I just want to point out, this is not your way to get on the show in general. Writing a bad review does not necessarily mean you will get on the show. In fact, it, it is unlikely we will ever read a bad review again, so you should only write good reviews. He wrote it like you started it, Jed. Okay, great. <laughs> he wrote a bad review. Yeah, he start, Great at first. So um, his knowledge of the show was great, but not anymore. Not anymore. But not, not anymore. anymore. Not anymore. I called out, I begged for help. Um, but like getting together with old friends you haven't seen for a while, the stories have been repeated and repeated and repeated. So no repeating stories, apparently. Okay. Because, you know, basically they've run out of new material. Oh, that's what you think, McDuck. Scrooge <laughs> McDuck. They do enjoy entertaining themselves. That's, that's true. true. That much is certain. Well, that's the only reason we do this, yeah. well, Mr. McDuck. It's not for the, the, the bucks. <laughs> You're reading good reviews or reading bad reviews? Sauce for the goose, Mr. Savage. Indeed. Indeed. Sauce, for the the Sauce for the McDuck. <laughs> they do enjoy entertaining themselves, so if you're into that, great. Yeah, we are, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> they're a lot like that person you know who thinks they're the smartest person in the room, and they're not afraid to tell you over and over and over, over again. Well, I have to tell you. <laughs> that you're the smartest person in the room? Nah, Say it again. I, I don't think I am. I think Ashley's the smartest person in the room. Oh, thank you. So, uh, <laughs> so I actually, in this case, don't think I'm the smartest person in the room. I'm close. But, <laughs> man, this guy's right. We are obnoxious, and we do repeat the same material. You, but know, you what? know what? That's us. And if you don't like it, I listen, just... listen to the other podcasts out there. There are plenty of trick podcasts yes. for you out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to, uh, I'm want to. i going to read one more. One more. One, one more. more. The Kobayashi Maru. Okay. And I have not read these before reading them. Is this a positive them, review so. or a This negative? is apparently from Zinc Adams. Zinc Adams. Okay. Not to be confused with... Um, Patch Adams. <laughs> yeah, no. I would hear that review. Faith of the Doctor, heart, baby. Not to be confused with Doctor Adams from Dagger of the Mind. Okay. That's right. Captain uh, Tristan, Adams. Tristan Adams. If you're like Captain Kirk and you don't like to lose, then this, I love this, then this podcast is your Kobayashi Maru test of Star Trek podcast. Take the lose-lose of trial and error listening to podcasts and turn it into a win-win with Mark and Darren. And in this case, Ashley and Scott. I just added that. Right. It's yeah. exactly the kind of Star Trek conversation that I have with friends. Sorry to hear that. Right. I feel like part of the gang with every episode. You And you are Kobayashi Maru. You are, you are part, part of, of the, the gang. gang. Even uh, McDuck. <laughs> Even McDuck. <laughs> who, who thinks that we repeat ourselves. And are smarter than him. Also, I don't do... And that we repeat ourselves. Zink, Zink, <laughs> Zink Adams says, also, I don't do reviews, so you know it's good because I took the time to write this up. Oh, well, that's well nice. Zink Adams, we appreciate that. Thank you so much. And if you want to be featured on a future show, write a five-star review because, again, we're not going to write repeat any of these nasty, re- nasty Ever reviews. Ever again, even though nasty. we just did. Yeah, I, that's fine. I, I think it's funny. It, it is. I think it's it funny. Is. I think it's funny. <laughs> what can I say? So, here we are. We Once again, we play our dangerous game. 
<laughs> Mance versus Dr. History. Well, you could argue that Hunt for Red October is a better Star Trek movie than any of the Kelvin movies. Well, you could argue that Galaxy Quest well, is that, a better Star Trek movie than any of the Kelvin I don't, movies. I don't think we're arguing that at all. No, 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 no one <laughs> would. we'd all agree. So let, let's sum up. So we, a couple weeks ago, we did a podcast of Star Trek 2009 for the 10th anniversary. Right. Scott, huge fan. Talked about it at length, how much he loves the movie, how he even emailed JJ on the anniversary of the release, and, and JJ replied, was very happy to hear from and, him. And he replied. And he replied within hours. He replied within hours. Within hours. Hours, hours can seem like days. Hours and so um, but minutes can seem like hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, um, uh, Darren, less of a fan, expressed why. Had a lot of good points, salient points about why he's not a fan of 2009, how uh, he feels that it doesn't honor uh, the original Star Trek. Really interesting to hear you two talk about it. So, you know, the plan had been to do the whole Kelvin universe, but we you spend so much time talking about Star Trek 2009, we never got to uh, uh, Into Darkness and Beyond, as well as Ashley's little experience, little experience in the Kelvin universe. Uh, so today we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. The Let's story, do that. Let's do it. The saga continues. We're, you, we're wasting precious time. Repeating ourselves. Our Admiral Kelvin. As the you word. know, the Kelvins began when they reduced the crew to little compact shapes and crushed some of them. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Those are the Kelvins. Hey, Kel- we do not Kelvans. colonize. We conquer. <laughs> we conquer. We rule. There's no That's other right. way for us. We totally rule. Can I just say that by, by any other name, and I've said this before, sorry, but <laughs> maybe not everyone's listened to every freaking episode. I love that episode. It's a great- yeah. Underrated ep- episode. Absolutely. Yep. It is a, what makes by any other name great it's is green. it starts off, well, for the first half of that episode, it is intense. There, the, the pacing, it just flies by. There, there's some great mm-hmm. action. You know, they get, and there's something that, that you don't see a lot from the original series. There was continuity when he yes! says- I was just gonna I say that. I love when, when Rojan says, there's an energy barrier at the end of your, end of your galaxy. Yes. And he goes, We're yes, I know, we've yeah. been well, there. And not only that, when, when Spock does the uh, the trick to convince the guard that there's a multi-legged uh, thing on his shoulder, they the say, oh, like you did on a Mini R7. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It was great, twice in one episode, continuity. But the other thing about it that's actually kind of brilliant you know the the episode was i think it was co-written by Jer- jerome bixby, jerome bixby yes. and uh, dorothy fontana is that after they get through the barrier the episode turns into, into a comedy, a comedy. Yeah. now here's an example of that shift that worked because i've actually pointed this out to our friend mark cushman who wrote the these are the voyages books like why does the shift from drama to comedy work in by by any other name but the shift from drama to comedy did not work in spock's brain and that was directed by Mark Daniels. Mm-hmm. Even though the first half of Spock's brain is actually pretty good. I'm hanging on your every word. Tell but, us, uh, Scott. But by any other name, when it shifts and, Teach you know, us. Scotty's trying to get the guy drunk with its green and, you know, Kirk's hitting on uh, one of the, the you know, the-, the what's Barbara the, Boucher. Yeah. She's, you know, it's it works. It works. And it's such a great- uh, you know, uh, it plays right into what makes the original series so great. You know, you would welcome us. Uh, will you welcome invaders? No, but we would welcome friends. It's a great episode. I cannot tell you how many times when I get home at night and I just want to veg out and chill and watch something comfortable. Not only do I watch the original series, but I put that episode mm. on. Anyway, because it's, but but there's also something in it that is that lets your imagination run wild when Spock describes. The Kelvins as they actually exist, right? As a thousand arms with, you know, with uh, 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 specific resembling tentacles. Yeah, yeah, that that have uh, specific uh, uh, specific capabilities of each. I mean, just that description makes you go insane. 
That's amazing. What I love about that episode is it's not a top 10 episode. It's not even a top 51 episodes of right. all time, obviously, yeah. because it wasn't on our list. But it's just a solidly entertaining, Very entertaining. fun mm-hmm. episode that's extremely well done. And I think Warren Stevens and William Shatner, their scenes together- Are very good. They're great. They're very good. They play really well off each other. You know, They're both veterans of the genre, You know, Shatner from The Twilight Zone and Outer Limits, and of course, uh, Warren Stevens from Forbidden, Forbidden Planet, Planet, which was yeah. a Doc- massive inspiration. Dr. And it's a great contrast uh, because this third season had virtually the same episode. Wink of an Eye is virtually the same Mm -hmm. episode. True. With a sci-fi twist with the accelerated. And it just goes to show how much better second season is the third season. Because by any other name, great, solid episode. No Wink of an Eye is a really stupid episode. Yeah. But and it's basically the same plot. by third season standards. Yeah. So what's to say? I do like, Damning I do with like Wink Bridge. of an Eye. But, but again, you know, you, you have the, the thing that makes the, the relationship between Rojan and Kirk work so well is that they respect each other. Right. You know, I mean, Rojan even says, I In respect your devotion to your, you know, your crew, but I have mine. And, you know, sorry, but we're going yeah, to Andromeda. For what it's worth. And sorry, Kirk. And for eat some solid food, will you? <laughs> so, what it's right worth, up, I think the, the reason why By Any Other Name works the way that it does when it makes that tonal shift and, say, Spock's brain doesn't is because everything that happens in the first half of that, that episode is, is building to that moment mm-hmm. when the crew turns it around. Right. On the Kelvins, right? And because we're now like we're we're with them in you know in kind of in that turnaround and taking control of the Enterprise back, we're allowed to have fun with it. It's a it's a release that feels earned from all the tension in Spock's brain. It's not that suddenly we're turning the problem around. It's that suddenly the problem starts starts to feel silly, and it undoes the stakes. And it's just. Yeah, no, yeah. I, you're you're right, and you, I think you hit on the nail on nail on the head perfectly. But I just remember when I was a little kid growing up, and you know, I like like you guys, I'm, I was definitely of the syndication generation. That is how I discovered Star Trek. It was on every night at seven p.m. Syndication generation. generation, I like that. That's That's a good syndication book generation. We call the podcast. We, <laughs> we are the ones. <laughs> Who put Star Trek on the map after right. it, you know, was deemed a failure on NBC? Mm. We are the ones who made it popular, that got it going again, that that appreciated it in all the right ways. But that I remember, held the torch in the in the in the low years. But it it definitely led. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about it if it That's wasn't right. for our generation, yeah, yes. for the syndication generation. True that. But as I was getting into Star Trek, they had they were in the beginning of season two, and it was on every night. So I'm watching Doomsday Machine, a mock time, a changeling, uh, my favorite, Metamorphosis, yes, uh, know. you know, Mirror Mirror, like like every episode, one after another was great. I'm like, holy Toledo. And I was like six, seven years old getting mm-hmm. into it. But I vividly remember being at my grandmother's in downtown Philadelphia, and uh, they they all had gone out, uh, my grandmother with my parents, and I stayed in to watch Star Trek. And I just remember this teaser of, uh, you know, the the... They, they froze the crew. They froze the uh, the uh, the they landing party. They reduced the whole crew. They, uh, but yes, and they, <laughs> but they, they, they froze the whole landing party. And that that monologue. And I'm Rojan of Kelva, your commander from this moment on. He's just so calm about yeah. it. You know, any efforts to resist us will be severely punished. You humans have faced the end of your existence, as you have known it. And Kirk is frozen. Mm-hmm. And then, like, that's a teaser! Yeah. That's a teaser! That's a teaser. That is a teaser. It's so funny <laughs> you say that. Because, you know, to prepare for this Michael Dorn interview we were doing, I was watching a lot of old Next Generation. And I watched Sins of the Father, because I remember that was a great episode. I hadn't watched it in a long time. And I literally I watched it. And it's still a great episode. But I watched the thing, and the teaser ended. I literally said out loud, 
I said, what kind of teaser is that? <laughs> and my wife comes in and she's like, okay? yeah, she's like, what? I didn't, yeah. I said, you know what? Nothing happened. Why would anyone keep watching that? Right, I don't right. understand. Oh. It, like nothing happens. It's like literally people sitting around talking and there's no cliffhanger. There's nothing that drives you in the credits. I wish I remembered specifically what happened, but it was just like, I, I, I said I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, start original starting knew how to do teasers. I just I don't get not you know don't even then have a teaser. Like you have three minutes, three or four minutes right. to grab people well, and and look at these. Grab three the or syndication four generation by the throat. If it's not <laughs> really teasing you, then it's not it's not really a teaser. Right. Then is it? It's just a beginner. A beginner. But that it's is a why a beginner is a very delicate time. Yes. This is this is my my sake back into the Kelvin timeline films. Oh, I, it, that would have worked. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you're not dodging a bullet, Mister Doctorman. Oh. But the teaser for Star Trek 2009 was brilliant. The teaser mm-hmm. with George Kirk, like it's like, a great teaser. It is a great teaser now, for a movie. Aaron, Darren talked about what he didn't like about it last time, mm. so we're not going to belabor the point. No, I think in in terms of an action scene, you know, people being sucked out in the space and all that. That's very blown fa- out, sir. It's a very effective. Uh, it's a definitely a very effective teaser. Mm. Great effects, you know, great sacrifice, all that. But getting back to by any other name, the, <laughs> I have to say, you know, you mentioned this great Shatner moment in the teaser. I absolutely love. When uh, they, they turn the security guard and, and the yeoman into um, cubes, oh, yeah. and you don't know which one is going to get destroyed, right. you know this one can be restored. This one, you know, and he crushes, he crushes in the hand. This person and is dead. He sees the 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 woman is dead, the right. yeoman, and the, the, the and he, the, the look of agony on Shatner. Right. Why could have been the other guy? Right. Yeah. He knew what he was getting the into. Burn. But it was like this yeah. poor yeoman, and he does this look of just completely being it's, it's, gutted it's by it. It's the look of, well, now what am I going to do Thursday night? <laughs> <laughs> but those moments, I have to say, when when Kirk had a moment of, of uh, sadness where he, he absorbed what just mm-hmm. happened. Absorbed it. Like, uh, yeah. Absorbed. You will be absorbed. <laughs> uh, but, like, for example, in... Uh, Devil in the Dark, when he loses the crewman and he bends mm-hmm. down and he's just sad. Or in uh, um, uh, what's the other episode where where he uh, uh, oh, what am I thinking of? There was another episode where where Kirk lost. Their, oh, uh, in the Apple, you know, mm-hmm. oh, when he yeah. lost, you know, what, he lost four red shirts. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, he lost four red shirts, and he's a uh, you know, I knew the this family now, now this one. I mean, you know, uh, but that's what makes him such a. Such a fully realized because character. he feels. I, I look. He, he has this like Bill Clinton thing. Where you, he just whether it's real or not, he you, he feels so deeply. You can tell like that he there's such empathy and there's such you know it's like Shatner's like so. Oh my god, you know the the, the loss oh, is on his face. Another great moment in by any other name is towards the end of Act Two when they get into the turbo lift and McCoy, uh, sorry Spock and Scotty tell Kirk about the final option. You know, mm-hmm. and Kirk about you know when we get to the barrier. Oh yeah, will the Enterprise will be destroyed? The Kelvins will be stopped here. And Scotty goes, and so will we. And Kirk goes, are you mad? I can't just sit there. The door opens, and it's like, <laughs> right. I know, it's like <laughs> take your places, gentlemen. We're about to hit the barrier. Yeah, yeah. That's a great and scene. It's, it's very a suspenseful. great scene. The tension of it. There's the break. Like 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 he 
couldn't even make the decision right there. Right. He has to be on the spot with it. And then just at the end of that, uh, at that act where they're, you know, Kirk is in the chair, Rojan is next to him. They're approaching the barrier, and just the the music. It's just yeah. such a. And great then when Rojan calls him out on it afterwards, it's like you don't try that again. Yeah, We've taken some measures to ensure that you never try to mess with me again. So pal. great. Yeah. We, so great. We detected it, of course. By the way, yeah. I have to say, speaking of watching stuff, so I was watching Sins of the Father. Um, I, I, it was one of the few times I didn't have any original Star Trek episodes on during the break. But I did have – you know what I did have on? What and did I you got have chastised on? for Uh-oh. it. I had Inglorious Trexperts on, Stir oh. TV. Um, and, and it seemed like every time ourselves. I snuck a peek yeah. at our show, my kids would Blue come Art. in and say – Dad, how narcissistic are you <laughs> sitting watching yourself on television? <laughs> and I'm it like, was a mistake. I, I like, didn't I, mean I, it. I would change the channel and then inevitably, like the next day, like, you know, be like 10 o'clock at night or whenever it came on and I'd be watching the, the, the Inglorious Trexpers and they'd be like, hey, we're going to sleep now. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, well, it's a good episode. Walter Koenig is on. So uh, I actually enjoy watching the show because it's been a while since we recorded them. And I, I, I get a kick out of it, you know, absent friends, you know. So you know, some of our guests, so Scott was on recently on uh, on a wonderful episode where we were talking about um, Star the one Trek with the Lex. With the, with the, we were talking about Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we were. Uh, the time travel ones. We, we talked right. about the time travel. And there was and the, the, love stories. The, the love stories. And you were talking about metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. So you just put on a loop. We Your could, we could episode. do a whole episode, or at least I could, on the greatness of metamorphosis. Why don't we do that now? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would be happy to do that now. No, we we have come to talk about the uh, the um, the Kelvin verse, not by any other name, <laughs> the other Kelvin verse. Um, so look, clearly huge fan. We know of Star Trek 2009. Darren, not a huge fan of 2009. What was your response to when Into Darkness? Okay. Now, what I remember about seeing Star Trek Into Darkness in May of 2013, and uh, you were at the same screening that I I was was at. I was. It was at the AMC Century City. Mm -hmm. And so overall, you know, all the sort of, you know, J.J. and the rest of the cast and the rest of the crew in pre-interviews for the film, they were being very coy. This is not Khan. This is some guy named John Harrison, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. And even in a, 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 a an extended clip that they showed, uh, they they he was ID'd as John Harrison. Mm. But, you know, everyone knew that he everyone was playing. Knew. Everyone was the worst kept secret in, in Star Trek land. And the tip-off for me, like the at the point in the film when I – I knew for sure, without a doubt, that this was going to be a bizarro version of Wrath of Khan was when they mentioned how many torpedoes there are. Mm. 72. Mm-hmm. That was the tip. Because remember in Act 2 of Space Seed, mm-hmm. Scotty is still on the Botany Bay and Kirk is on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And Scotty says, 72, still operating, half of those, uh, 30 of them are women. 72 was the number that made me go, this is absolutely J.J.'s take on Wrath of Khan. And I was fine with that because up to that point, while I thought it was a very busy film, definitely a bigger, heavy, uh, a heavier emphasis on action instead of like just character driven moments that I loved in the 2009 movie. I still liked the characters. I still loved the actors playing these characters. I loved the dynamic of the chemistry. I loved all that stuff. The the point where I really had a problem, and I and I know that other people had a problem long before it even got to this point, but the point where I had a problem with Into Darkness 
was when it does become an inverse version of Wrath of Khan. Instead of Spock being the one that sacrificed himself and died, it was Kirk who sacrificed himself to die. Mm -hmm. And the moment when Spock, Zachary Quinto, yells, Khan, I cringed. I cringed. I sunk back in my seat. And I went, oh, they went there. They really, really went there. You maniacs! You blew it up! <laughs> Damn you all to hell! Um, but that, I, I, I remember when the movie was over, really conflicted because I liked the film as it was, not as much as 2009, but I still enjoyed it. But that point really, really bothered me mm. because, you know, with the 2009 movie, they established this alternate timeline basically freeing them of all this mm-hmm. canon and they could do whatever the hell they wanted the sky was the limit yeah. they could have made the second jj film anything something original a new villain a new story that actually has a social commentary go figure right. like the original series and what do they do they remake wrath of Khan. well what was Why? so interesting too about that decision, and you could argue misguided decision, was that so much of the impact of uh, Wrath of Khan hinged on the fact that Kirk and Khan had this history, that he right. stranded him on the planet, left him behind, and uh, without that kind of... Um, instead, the history is with this Peter Weller character that we have no investment in. Um, so, okay, so you had mixed feelings about it. There's a lot you liked about it, things you didn't. Um, didn't like the flip on Khan. Um, Darren, what was your uh, feeling about darkness when you saw it? My feeling was Uh-oh. that they had all these great elements and just screwed it up. Y- you could have a great story still using Benedict Cumberbatch as another one of the genetic supermen. That, you know, he can say that he's Khan, mm. you know, and just sort of get rid of Khan's uh, uh, crypt. You know, yeah, yeah. He can he can perform the coup off screen, and and basically take his identity. Even though you know, the problem with it is that they're relying on the audience to have a like Mark said to have a previous idea of who Khan is and how he relates to Star Trek. And Wrath of Khan does this in a very economical way. They tell the story during the. The movie yes. that even if you haven't seen the original episode, you can still get an idea of who Khan was and why he's there and what his goal is. Here, they just assume that all of that is written, and the audience knows it. And the problem is when he when Cumberbatch says, "I'm Khan," <laughs> in the in the movie, in the movie, and you're waiting for a sting. It's no so... one should know who that is. Right, right. right. Like Kirk it, uh, should look at him yeah. and go, "Who? Who? Right. Yeah." That right. that that is something that what, Ed Gross... It needed to be tossed <laughs> off, and instead, it was kind of given this import that yeah. it hadn't quite that earned. Had earned. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Unearned. My name is Khan. The whole Singh. movie is unearned. Much like my my problems with JJ's storytelling in other uh, uh, universes. <laughs> um, it's unearned. You need to have a you need to have storytelling ability and 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 tell your story. Give the audience enough information so that they will be with you when revelations happen or when things change around or where when you are telling something that doesn't, you know, that is supposed to be a flip on something that your story was leading to. You know, you, you both 
you all hit on on the the crucial point is that it's not earned. I remember when we saw the film the first time, thinking, "What's the difference? What is the his guy? The guy's name could be anything." Mm-hmm. Like so, and why was he hiding his name? Like yeah. nobody in this alternate universe has any idea who the guy is because they never met him before. Right. They never came across the Botany Bay in space like the Enterprise did right. fifteen years before in the Prime Universe. And the beauty of Wrath of Khan is you do not need to see Space Seed. Right, you do not need to see because it because they scene, take you along and they give you just enough information Bay. so that you know Bay. what's but, important. But the moment, the moment between Kirk and Carol Marcus. When Kirk is having a midlife crisis already, and he says, "There's a man out there I haven't seen in 15 years who's trying." Well, to Well, he kill was 50 me. something. Yeah, yeah, he was in his old. early 50s when yeah. he made uh, Wrath of Khan, um, and it seems quite young by these days. It really I'm, as old, quite young, so young. I'm as old as Kirk was in uh, in Star Trek Two, which is so much younger. No, my boggling. I, that's <laughs> an interesting point you make. I never assumed Kirk was talking about Khan there. I thought Kirk was talking about David. Really? Yeah, because wow. they had just finished that big fight wait, where wait, David had the knife. Wait a minute. Wait, what are you talking what? about? I'm confused. No, 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 There's no, no. a man out there trying to kill me who I haven't seen. Who in... I haven't seen in 15 years. But he didn't. He's, so you thought he was referencing the fight that he just had with yes. David? Yes. Oh, I thought it was Khan that he was talking about. Because Khan. No, about Khan. Because now David is complicated. There's already this guy who's trying to kill him I haven't seen in 15 years. Because David was trying to kill him just moments before. Yeah, but he hasn't never seen him. It hasn't been 15 years. He has. has. He has because David knows who Kirk is, that overgrown Boy Scout that you used to hang around with. He did meet him. And it could certainly have been 15 years since then. Hey, we're going to put up oh, a Twitter poll. That, that is literally the, the – that blows my mind more than anything that's ever been <laughs> yeah, said yeah, on the show. Yeah. I actually thought – I mean, but you know what? I could see where <laughs> you think that. Yeah. That is a valid interpretation of well, that I got conversation. Number. Let's, let's just call him. Call him. <laughs> hey, Nick. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I was the Irishman. But back to, but back to Into Darkness. Um, I think initially when I saw it, it was definitely a jarring thing that that last bit and, mm-hmm. and, and having Spock yell Khan, that iconic moment that you're drawing, no matter how how you execute it, you're you're trying to you're, you're trying to do your own version of of definitely the best Star Trek movie, I think, um, and one of the greatest sequels ever made and definitely one of the greatest sci fi movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And you're already going to draw unfair valor. comparisons. It's stolen. We're also emulating a great pop culture moment, not a great moment of that film, because the reality is him yelling Khan is borderline campy ridiculous, Mm -hmm. um, where it has become this legendary thing because of the Shatner of it all, because of the But in the the context of the movie, it's ludicrous. But but in the context, right. And so to to, to emulate that when you're paying homage is kind of crazy because it's only going to provoke laughter. Well, that's what it, it, just, it didn't provoke laughter. It, and I felt like uh, embarrassed at that mm-hmm. moment because it didn't work. Yeah. But after some time, after, you know, I sort of stood on it for a little while, I, you know, went back, saw it again. And, you know, I still don't like that moment in the film. But I still think there are, the movie does have its merits. I don't like it as much as 2009. Uh, I, I, I just think that they blew a golden opportunity to pave their own way, go their own way, do their own thing. And they, they, they took mm-hmm. the easy way out by trying to redo something that's been done. But not as much as 2009, but I, I still think I liked Into Darkness. So, so Ashley, I want to ask you because you, um, you're somewhere in the middle. 
Mm-hmm. You're, you're actually in the middle between these two guys. The the, <laughs> the undiluted, passionate love fest that was Scott and the 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 the, the disdain uh, on the part of Mr. Document. You were somewhere in the disdain middle. Disdain becomes a warning. So can you? Where were you on Darkness? What what kind of you know? What was your impression when you went to see it? And 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 where does it fall for you? And how do you put all these pieces together? Okay, first, I got to see the premiere of Into Darkness. I got to go. I was so excited. It was like um it was a it was a moment for me as a as a Trek fan because like like Scott, I have a a, a lot of affection for for 2009. I don't think anybody has as much affection as Scott has for anything in the world, <laughs> but um but I think my feelings about Into Darkness ultimately are are very close to to Scott's, but it's actually still somewhere between Scott and and Darren. I I think I I didn't have an issue with the fact that it was a story about Khan. I think where it fell down for me was if if the franchise was going to do that, if the films were going to do that, then it needed to be an interpretation that told us a, a story about it that we otherwise had not seen. For one brief shining moment, that movie did it. When? When uh, Kirk and Khan have to team up to go over mm-hmm. to the other ship, mm-hmm. right? When I went, oh, this is going to be a movie about how Kirk and Khan are on the same yes. team. And oh, I would have wow. loved that. That's amazing. And what happened with the movie that I think ultimately hurt it as much as the, you know, Zachary Quinto yelling Khan and Kirk, you know, dying in the in the engine room um, is the fact that that movie had a third act already, right? It Like it gets to that point where Spock finally, like he gets on comms and he's like, yep. I'm going to kill all 72 of your dudes, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. and, and you're like, wow, holy crap. Like, check out the big swing and you know what on Spock. Ears. And the movie, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that movie reaches its emotional climax. It's over. Sure, we can have like a little bit of like the action, whatever. Um, but it's done, man. It's like we've just defeated the villain. And now all of a sudden we have to restart the film. Mm-hmm. And we restart the film with this little curly cue of a story point that requires Kirk to go and do a thing that right. feels like, you know, it's 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 inevitable kind of in a in a in a not great way. Uh, and all the the emotions are just in the they're in the wrong place. And we literally end this film on a fist fight. Yeah, and I have yeah. to tell you, the the irony of that for me was um, you know, I, I worked on the, the second season of Fringe, mm-hmm. and it was on the second season of Fringe that I, I personally like codified one of my little rules, which was the story should never end in a fist fight mm-hmm. unless it's a Rocky movie. <laughs> but even then, it doesn't really end on the fist fight. It ends on like on surviving that fist fight. So I thought that was problematic. I, I think that um, that there were things about that film uh, that I dug. I mean, I I, I love those actors. In those roles, I do too. Um, I love their relationships. I, I I love the way that they've kind of found their their own dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that there were some really good, fun scenes in that movie. And I think that it was potentially super interesting. I thought Peter Weller was great, if underused. Um, but ultimately, it, it, we had this film that didn't deliver on like the sort of this one thing it served up that was such an amazing idea. And then left us with a with a third act that felt both like we'd been there and then like it wasn't what we wanted. I didn't want to see Spock punching out Khan. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know, know not for any you, reason. You bring up a great point. I remember watching the movie for the first time, and when you get to the point when Kirk and Khan team up, and this is like very uneasy alliance, they clearly don't trust each other. And Kirk even says, like something like, I, "I don't know," you know, he's like very unsure. But it was a great dynamic that we really didn't see in right. either, uh, you know, Space Seed or Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and then it just, like you said, it just went something. Completely different that right. didn't work because that whole sequence is awesome. And then, like, the movie just feels like it needs to keep going. Well, it feels like, um, okay, I got to go. You guys have fun. Um, <laughs> do whatever it is you do, and uh, I'll see you later. See, I had a different take on that because I feel like in the history of, 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 of the Star Trek movies, there are very few great action set pieces um, because largely because of budget, you know, it's like to me, like you know, one of the things that I really love is is the deflector dish battle in First Contact, mm-hmm. just because it's something we haven't seen before. And I kind of agree with, when they team up; it's nice because that little um, orbital pursuit where they're flying through mm-hmm. to, from ship through to ship, stuff. it's clever. You know, what, what, it's the greatest action scene in the world. No, but uh, but it, it's it's clever and it's interesting. We haven't seen it before. But you're well, right. except in '09, where it was in a. a well, that was different, but that was different. It, that it was, was you know, the, exactly on the, the mining platform. I felt it was different. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, anyway, the platform, yeah. so so the um, you know, then in the end, you get that chase on that CGI, the CGI thing. Drain. I don't even remember what yeah. the hell it was. Planes, trains, space trains, and 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 it it's like almost like okay, well, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto are sort of equal above the title billing. So now we had this resolution with Captain Kirk. Now we have to do a yeah, whole most scene favorite with part. Spock. So and you know, and 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 here he is, the Vulcan slugging it out. With Which Khan, is still unnecessary with, because he'd already so solved the problem. It's yeah. so and, and absurd and it looks terrible and it's just like – it's like something out of a Marvel movie but a bad Marvel movie. Well, but the, 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 it's out of a DC of, movie. There is a feeling overall I think of Into Darkness that they're, right, they're trying to throw everything in including mm-hmm. the kitchen sink. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, the kitchen sink was bringing back Leonard Nimoy again. Right. Like you gave him a great send-off really – in 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 2009, when he says, uh, "At the risk of uh, self-serving, I'll just say good luck." Yeah, it was a great like Spock telling his alternate self, you know, to uh, go your way, really. And then they bring it back again, and it's like, uh, "Tell me about Khan." Uh, what? Like that was preposterous. That was that was lazy. Well, it mm-hmm. dimin- it's not lazy. It diminishes your characters because they can't figure it out for themselves. Right. They need to be told that Khan is bad. They, right. you know, so it makes them look dumb. You know, look, it's always great to see Leonard. For me, I'm happy to see Leonard. But that scene seemed, uh, you know, just r- kind of ridiculous. Uh, because, like I said, it diminishes the characters. It's not the right place. It's not You're not utilizing him correctly mm-hmm. by having him there. And, you know, it's just you don't want to let it go. It's like you're like... Oh, we, Leonard helped bring a certain audience. So we, if we have Leonard in here, it's going to get some buzz. But it, it wasn't in there for a real narrative reason that made sense, which is unfortunate. Um, but of course, it is also his last appearance on screen. And uh, having it's... said all of that, keep in mind that Star Trek in the Darkness currently is still the highest grossing Star Trek movie worldwide. And when I say that, you might think, oh, wow. But when you hear the number, you think that's it. Four hundred and sixty-seven yeah. million dollars yeah. worldwide. Well, and it also cost a lot more than the Star Trek two thousand nine. Right. It was one ninety. So it's it not the most profitable. It, it's the highest grossing, and those numbers can be very misleading. We've talked about this mm-hmm. on the show a lot. Sorry, 
uh, but I'll repeat <laughs> myself. But the uh, you know Star Trek the motion picture, so smart. but you know was a forty three million dollar movie. But most of that was development costs from the TV show and the previous iteration of the movies. Hey, so two. it didn't really cost forty three million dollars, yeah. and it still made money. Right. Right. But it was. Uh, after Voyage Home, it was the second highest grossing movie from the original. Yeah, so it's very misleading on. to look at these grosses and be able to say, you know, I mean, I think adjusted for inflation, probably, uh, uh, you know, Star Trek Two or Star Trek Four is, is is probably the most profitable. Why, why, fellas, why, when you look at this, those those three Star Trek films, the Kelvin Timeline movies, made in, you know, with with the with the hot, with the modern Hollywood mindset mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. franchises and reboots and all that stuff and sequels, you have. Event the Avengers movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have the Star Wars movies that make you know over a billion dollars worldwide. In some cases, over two billion dollars worldwide. A Star Trek movie has yet to cross five hundred million dollars mm-hmm. worldwide. Why? Because it's a TV show at its heart. Yeah. It's a problem. You you can and try has, and make it into a, a movie franchise, right. but it's it's not an event film. It has never been that, and that's the that's the sad part about it is that it can't be that. Because once you try and make it into something that it's not, it becomes no use for anybody. Uh. Well, I'll ask you this because here's, you know, this goes to the heart of, you know, what you're talking about. You know, you know, why has it not been? One of the things I think that strikes me is is is, as something that isn't Star Trek about Into Darkness. And yes, the original series had crazy Commodores and crazy admirals mm-hmm. and stuff, but they were the outlier. They were right. usually, you know, and, and there was usually a reason that, for their yeah. insanity. Yeah. Hold that this thought when we, when we get to beyond. Well, well this whole movie was um, uh, predicated on Peter Weller sort of being this evil guy that was within, within Starfleet. Starfleet and the whole idea of Star Trek being an optimistic hopeful future it begins with a terrorist act because a, a guy is trying to save his kid you know so it's for Khan's magic blood I, right. I you know that, that, that he, he basically kills innocent people you know the the in one, the Star Trek the universe in Gene's universe someone does not kill innocent people who is a Starfleet officer to get magic blood from Khan. Well, the, the, your, that's a much, much uh, bigger can of worms that, in the, the extent that what does Star Trek mean? Like, what is the meaning of Star Trek? And I think that the original series and Next Generation and definitely even Deep Space Nine, especially in its own way, still captured what it meant to be Star Trek. I don't think Voyager and Enterprise worked as well at it, but but I think that the the further away you get from the original series, the further away you get from like shows that Gene Roddenberry himself had a hand on, the further away you're getting from the spirit of Star Trek. And I think that's a big problem. I think that's a big problem in the case of Star Trek Discovery, which I'm really trying very hard to like. Um, but it is it is something that they brought back around for the third movie, the one that J.J. did not direct but did produce. That was Star Trek Beyond, directed by Justin Lin. That movie came a little closer back to TOS, as we original series fans like to call it. And while Star Trek 2009, I think, is the best movie of the three Kelvin movies, Star Trek Beyond is my favorite because it feels more like Star Trek. It felt like a throwback. The 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 uh, the way that the crew is s- separated, mm-hmm. and you have 
Kirk and Chekhov like you did in uh, uh, Game Search of Triskelion, and you have Spock and McCoy like you did in Galileo 7, and you have a starship commander who went off the rails like in Omega Glory and the Doomsday Machine. Oh, my God. Scott, I Scott, love Scott. Star Trek. Now, Beyond. I'm going to have to be the Darren on this one. Go for it. Because oh, you know, I like, sat next to you in Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that means I'm going to be the Ashley again? <laughs> Just keeping track on my scorecard. <laughs> I, look, I, you know, look, with the first two movies, I feel I have a lot of respect for the fact that they were the gateway drug for new fandom. I understand the love and I understand the hate and I'm somewhere probably in the middle on on those films. I, I respect the, uh, you know, what they were trying to do. I think they succeed in some respects and fail in others. He but knew be- Hyman Roth. He respected Hyman Roth. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I think Beyond is is just a mess. And you're absolutely right. We sat next to each other at the screening. Yep. And I, I, you know, I don't think I was uh, that uh, uh, flummoxed uh, since uh, Phantom Menace and Generations. I you know? I remember specifically watching watching Star Trek Beyond again at the AMC Century City, sitting right next to Mark Altman. And it was a packed screening. Simon Pegg, who co-wrote the screenplay with Doug Young, came to introduce the film, and I was very, very excited. Now, there had been four, it was a four-year break between 2009 and Into Darkness, and it was only a three-year break. Not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> there was only a three-year break between Into Darkness and Beyond, but there were other problems stacked against Beyond, which I will address, because I think that had a key, played a key factor in Star Trek Beyond being the lowest grossing movie worldwide of the three with only $363 million, $100 million less than Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. But at the moment when Uhura sees the video monitors and sees Idris Elba as a human, as the commander of the Franklin, and realizes that this guy Crawl, the, the villain with all the makeup, is the same guy, and you realize that he was a starship commander who lost it who went off the rails, even prompting Kirk to say to him during their battle, what happened to you out there? Because that was something that could have happened to Chris Pine's James T. Kirk. I felt like that was a classic original series moment. And I just went, oh, my God, it was a great surprise. It was a great twist. It was a great nod to the original show because of all the other Starfleet commanders who lost their minds. And you, at the same time, you were done. You've had it. You wanted to to douse the screen with a nitrate film like Inglorious Bastards <laughs> and burn the house down. But you didn't. Scott. Yes. I will now, however. Let me, <laughs> let me explain the difference to you. Okay, here we go. The difference between... School is in session, baby. <laughs> the difference between how uh, Beyond tackled that, that question and how I think TOS would have. TOS would have revealed that there's this alien who is uh, leading this band of uh, uh, mercenaries on this planet, um, and he used to be a Starfleet commander in the teaser. And then we would have dealt with that problem during the episode. It's not the capper to a story. It's the beginning of a story. And it should be because that's a mystery that we need to find out about. And that's a story rather than just a moment that they they move to. I see your point. But at the same time, TV is TV, film is film. You're talking about two different mediums. Storytelling is storytelling. But but as a film, (laughs) I think the plot device does work for Beyond because I wasn't expecting it. (laughs) And it was a great you surprise. You weren't expecting it? No, I was. I did. I, no, I did. I wasn't expecting Crawl to be the, the oh, uh, God, commander of the Franklin. So did I. I oh. didn't see that coming. And by the way, I do agree now, that story-wise, the movie's a mess. I still don't. I, I've seen the movie. I don't know a dozen times, and I'm still not exactly sure why 
he had this uh, metamorphosis. I'm yeah. not sure why you have an actor with the power and the charisma of Idris Elba. You finally have like this great actor, probably the most interesting actor since Christopher Plummer playing a villain, and you bury him in bad foam latex. I agree with you. I, I, I but, but, that, and I'm gonna give you because you need to go. But, <laughs> I, I, but I have to say, because this movie really worked me up. You start a movie. With Captain Kirk right. saying, bored yeah. of being in space, saying, I don't like it. We're out here. We're looking at science. He's We're, having a crisis I, of conscience. I, 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 I think I'm going to give up being a captain. I mean, that's not, Again, unearned. That, that's not Captain Kirk. Now, I could understand that's Captain Pike, right? You know, and maybe if he had lo- was thinking about all the people he's lost and the bad decisions he's made and he, maybe he's too young. He's, uh, Into Darkness did that clumsily at the beginning. They wanted to rectify all the criticism of 2009. He got promoted to captain way too fast, right? Probably was. But, but then in, in, in Darkness, it's like he makes the decision – you know, to, to, to show the ship, to beam Spock to safety. And they're like, you're demoted. You're not prepared to be captain, which kind of I had problems like that's yeah, but, weird. But, you know, I, I agree with you that Chris Pine's Captain Kirk felt more like Captain Pike. The irony is that Anson Mount's Captain Pike in Star Trek Discovery Season 2 feels more like Captain Kirk. You know, he looked like he really liked being a captain, uh, right. Captain Pike, okay, played I'm, by I'm Anson I'm talking Mount. about Beyond. And <laughs> the, 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 so it gets off on, 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 the, on the wrong foot, and, and it just never recovers f- from that. And, uh, it, you know, there's a brief moment where they pay homage to Leonard Nimoy, which... I fun. love that moment. But that got I me, think man. That the was reason earned. that people like Beyond is because there are a couple of glimmers of real Star Trek in there between Spock and McCoy where it's taken three movies to finally get to the, that relationship, which right. always worked, which was the Spock-McCoy. And Carl Urban, a passionate fan of the original, who is literally resurrected the McCoy. He yeah, is, you know, Kelly. brings yeah. D. Kelly back to life. Agreed. And, and they finally give him something to do and people are like, this is a real Star Trek movie. Yeah, for 10 minutes, it's, it's, it's kind of a real Star Trek movie. All right, all right wait, wait. Okay. Anyway, go ahead, you go. Okay. <laughs> so, my feelings... Here's the deal. My feelings are complicated. <laughs> Thursday. I will say, first of all, that, that I found many things in, uh, in, in Beyond, many individual sequences enjoyable fun uh kind of well designed i really dug like all the stuff with uh with uh spock and mccoy um that said i i think that that darren's fix is actually a, a really great one and i'll tell you why because number one if our introduction to that character is an understanding that he's a starfleet officer who has gone off the rails then that informs literally every other scene that follows, and it plugs right back into the theme that's set up with with Kirk. Right? There by because, the grace of God go I. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. all of the questions that are so interesting, like what happened to you out there, you know, that becomes really the question that follows Kirk throughout, right? And it also sets up this idea that he might really be in trouble because much like a, a con, Right. It's like here's somebody who who understands how I think, what I do, how I play by the book. Like he probably helped write the goddamn book. So now what am I going to do? 
mm-hmm. right now it really is sauce for the goose, and that feels like it's a it's a worthy uh, opponent for for Captain Kirk in that story, um, because while I think that there are some, I mean, I, like I really dig the sequence where the Enterprise gets destroyed. Spoiler alert! I think that like that's really just a do cool you? idea. I do because I think that like what happens with that just as an idea, I thought was like visually just very the interesting. swarm. I like the swarm. Yeah, but that's what I'm talking what? about. I just once I'd like to see the Enterprise kick ass yeah, rather oh, than yeah, me too. getting no question. It's, but I just I thought agree. the swarm. Another battle like, the yeah. in the on first twenty terms. minutes. I like the swarm on its own terms. Yes, I agree with that. Um, and I liked the sequence with uh, with with Kirk and Chekhov on the on the uh, on the saucer and and all that stuff. I thought there was a lot of cool stuff like that. Um, you know, but ultimately. Like the the movie for me, I, I agree with Darren. It kind of waited so long to to hook into what it was truly, truly, truly about. And as Mark said, you've got Idris Elba. You bury him in makeup. You put stuff bad on makeup. His eyes, I agree. Bad makeup, and and you can't tell from his voice that it's him. So there is no part of his performance that is left in that character until suddenly it is Idris Elba in front of you. And I think that that's such a mistake. It's like it's one of the things that Discovery struggled with mightily in the first season of that show when they had these actors as the Klingons buried in makeup, their eyes like hidden by things. And, and the then, entire performance has to be looped because they can't enunciate. So you're not even getting a real performance. That's right. I, I, I agree with you completely about the makeup and about wasting Idris Elba's talents. I agree that the You're movie... You're wrong about the moment, though. You know, the, the, the structure of the film, you know, the, 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 some of the plot points I, I thought were, were, were convoluted. But at the same time, the movie has so many merits. You know, finally, you have the Enterprise out into deep space. They're not hanging around the Earth. It's so boring, On the five-year mission. Okay. It's boring being Wait, in deep on. space. Wait. Wait a minute. <laughs> the other thing is that you have moments I, I felt like really did take me back to the, some of the charms of the original series. In the beginning of the film, when Kirk and McCoy are having a drink for his birthday, mm-hmm. uh, that reminded me of the scene in Balance of Terror when uh, Kirk says, "All I ask is, uh, you know, I, I, I he, no," he says, "Um, uh, uh, all I, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, go, go, uh, I wish I went a, you know, long sea voyage, uh, no uh, frantic dancing, no responsibilities, you know, why me? You know, that moment in Balance of Terror reminded me of the uh, birthday scene in in Star Trek Beyond and all the stuff with Kirk, with with Spock and McCoy." separated from the crew and you know that dynamic really made me think of the Galileo 7 and the scene in uh, uh, Bread and Circuses were in the jail they're mm-hmm. in the jail cell and McCoy says I know why you're not afraid of dying you're more afraid of living like I thought those moments really 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 worked and only one thing can and, save them Captain Kirk on a motorcycle and don't forget come on don't forget there were so many things stacked against Star Trek Beyond working First of all, you had the original script written by Bob Orsi, who was going to direct the film. Mm-hmm. That was jettisoned. And Simon Pegg and Doug Young did a page one rewrite of the film yeah, in, in order months. to meet a July yeah. 2016 release date. Then what do they we do? We know how they well release... that usually works Hang out. Hang on. Just hear me out. You had the first teaser trailer for Star Trek Beyond that went up with Star Wars uh, uh, The Force Awakens. That 90-second teaser trailer made it look like Fast and Furious in space as it should because it was directed by Fast and Furious director Justin Lin. And it was a horrible, horrible teaser trailer. So there's all this stuff, you know, I I was disappointed in that teaser. And then you didn't have any footage. But it wasn't lying. But just hang on. You didn't have any footage (laughs) to (laughs) debut at CinemaCon. 
in April. Mm-hmm. April, the movie opens in July. So by the time you actually had an event to promote uh, uh, Star Trek Beyond, they had this big event on the Paramount lot where they showed a couple of extended scenes and a brand new trailer that really made the movie look, wow, this actually looks pretty good. But it was the end of May. The movie opened at the end of July. It was too late. And by the end of July, people were sick of the action movies after having them in May and June. But you know what? The release Look, date the movie was could wrong. have made twelve cents if it was a great movie. We'd still love right, it. Okay, right. what, Scott, what what is fate at the back box office is not what the show is about. Who cares about the, the reason fate? it didn't do as well as Into Darkness is because people had seen Into Darkness. I agree. A lot of people didn't and, like and, Into Darkness, and, and they and they were they were done. But again, they, they I, would have shown up for the right Star Trek movie. No, that's absolutely have. true. If you put the 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 vibe and the feel and the throwback feel of Beyond into Star Trek two thousand nine you would have had a perfect Star Trek movie. Uh, 2009 works uh, for many, many merits, and I've addressed them before. Make sure you listen to that version of yeah, the Inglourious Bastards podcast. And I Trek think experts. that Beyond Beyond works for other reasons as a, as a Star Trek movie, not Star Trek's answer to Star Wars. And then there's there's Into Darkness, which I'm, I'm mixed on. I lean towards liking it, and I've seen it many times because I do like the characters in the action. But Beyond is my favorite Star Trek Kelvin timeline movie. Yeah, it's amazing because we're so simpatico on so much, and I, I can't fathom how you, you like Beyond so much. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, again, it's like, the, you know, I, I like the Beastie Boys as much as anyone, but, you know, it's like See, I, I really didn't need to hear uh, Sabotage again. I would have been happy with Intergalactic. Yeah. You know, Paul's Boutique, you know, bring it on. But uh, it's just like, oh, man. But okay, let, let's let's my, my, move to Ashley. Yes. One one more thing. My, my main thing is that I just want, I just wanted them to make sense. I just wanted them to have a story that felt like one thing should lead to another and the characters should react to this in realistic ways. You got money. You got a great cast. Why is it so hard? Right. Okay. Uh, so... It's funny because, as I said, I've got a complicated relationship with this movie. Um, and for about <laughs> ten seconds there, I was involved in this movie, oh. uh, and almost heavily. Uh, so I was there, like at the kind of at the at the ground floor, sort of watching what was happening with uh, with Bob, um, because when that. Process Bob with Bob Orsi when that process the writer, began, director. Um, you know there were writers who had been hired when I think JJ was going to do it, and then JJ went off to do Star Wars. So that wasn't happening anymore. Those writers hadn't written. Um, Bob had had come in and he wanted to make the movie. He wanted to hire his own writers, and the guys that he wanted to hire were were me and Zach. Mm-hmm. So this was like this spent about ten seconds. Uh, in the news, circa Comic Con, I think two years before that that movie came out, fifteen, yeah, yeah. and um, you know we got asked lots of questions about it. We couldn't really talk about it at that point. You know, it seemed like it was it was actually going to happen. A lot of things happened on the way to the forum. <laughs> um, ultimately, uh, you know, Bob uh, didn't get his way in a lot of things. Um, and the the reasons for that are incredibly complicated. Uh, and I think that, you know, look, deep down, I, I, not even deep down, I think even on the surface, Bob loves Star Trek. Like, he loves Star Trek as much as any of us love Star Trek. Um, one of the things that I remember him very, very clearly, distinctly saying, you know, that he wanted to get back to was, you know, this idea with, like, with just the... Sp- 
the combat in space of feeling more like a submarine, more like, you know, about the the tension from, you know, Wrath of Khan and, and all of those things. Those things were really important to him. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of the opposite of the Fast and, and the Furious in space. <laughs> it's a very different aesthetic. Sure, totally. Yeah. And there were so many things that it just... I just I, I look at that film and I see bizarro world interpretations of, of things that that we talked about. I remember when when we went in our our pitch on it, and then that kind of evolved. But uh, the pitch was yes, it was a story about Captain Kirk, you know, wrestling with am I in the right place? But it wasn't about wow, space can be boring, right? And nobody prepared me for how boring it can be. <laughs> um, what we really wanted to do. Was was leveraged some of the themes that had been developed from 2009 and into and into darkness, um, you know, which is first the you know the the legacy of his of his father and how do you live up to that, and then and into darkness, um, his relationship with the rest of the crew and this whole idea of family and what is that, and we wanted to bring some of that forward. I mean, our uh, our conceit for what the movie would have been is, you know, we would have had uh, Carol Marcus in it. And we would have learned, you know, very early in the film um, that Jim Kirk has a secret. His secret is that he's involved with Carol Marcus and Carol Marcus has a secret. And she's pregnant. (laughs) And there is a a fight in the beginning of the movie and Kirk doesn't know that she's pregnant. And he gives one of those orders that kind of leaves her in a place where if things go badly, she's dead. Now, somehow they manage to get through it. And she doesn't die, but he finds out the truth, right? Like, holy crap. And it shakes him. It throws him. And he starts to wonder because he just had been through this experience um, that obviously very much echoed uh, the, the, the circumstances of his, of his own birth. And the story that would have followed was actually about uh, – it's funny because, again, I see these elements like the like – the, the, the Dyson sphere sort of evolved from a whole bunch of things, but but in our original pitch, and this is why I was like, yeah, I kind of like it when they when they you know have these opportunities to sort of retell these stories. It was a little bit Doom's machine, Doom, Doomsday machine. It was a little bit Balance of Terror, mm-hmm. uh, where Kirk finds himself you know up against a Romulan commander. It didn't have to be the Romulan commander who was protecting a secret. And the secret is the Romulans have found this thing, this doomsday machine, which hasn't been activated. And the whole theme of the film was that we are locked in this war with each other. We've never seen each other's faces. And we keep building these weapons to kill each other, to destroy each other. Right? All of these these horrible things happen. We would have like, you know, connected it back to Star Trek 2009. And here is this gigantic floating objective correlative in the middle of space that can destroy us both. And the third act of that pitch was the Romulan commander and Kirk on the Enterprise uh, teaming up wow. to go oh. up against the uh, the Doomsday Machine. Um, and it was going to be a, a completely different film. U- ultimately, that evolved because of a, a lot of other factors into things like the the Dyson Sphere came from an idea that Bob had had about, um, you know, can we do something with new Vulcan, right? Can, like that there's like a, a new Vulcan out there. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But then you talk about things that get in the way of movies. One of the uh, the notes from the studio the was, right? Damn. Well, we feel like Star Trek works best when Earth is involved somehow. So mm-hmm. how can we do that? It's an old Paramount chestnut. Yeah. Yep. And it came back again and beyond. And so I think that how the Dyson Sphere evolved was a way of 
involving Earth in a way that satisfied Paramount. Oh, you mean how Earth was involved in Wrath of Khan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they don't see it that way because yeah. the way they see it is, you know, a motion picture made a lot of money. 80 million. Uh, right? Star Trek Four. Made a lot of money. Star Trek 2009 made a lot of money. As far as they were concerned, Star Trek Into Darkness made a lot of money. All those things, all those movies have like Earth, oh, right, as as part of the stakes. Oh, oh. This right? is the same thing that Brandon and Ron had to deal with on Next Generation. They, the Paramount would always give the same note: Earth needs to be in jeopardy right. because Most those are the movies that work. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like that's what the, that's what the studio thinks, and so that yeah. was was there. There was um. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. Actually, I think the the coolest. Well, I don't know if it was the coolest. If, if it would have worked at all, um, but we even we even had like a uh, a moment at the end of that at the end of that pitch that was um, Starfleet Command being under attack. This is how we were going to solve the Earth thing, right? Starfleet Command is under attack. It's it's Klingon ships. It's like you know the the Enterprise is out there. She's whatever, and. Um, you know the, uh, the the Klingon commander beams into Starfleet command, and you know the admiral in, in charge. You know surrenders, and like the was the, it Picard? It was. It wasn't <laughs> Picard. Uh, it, the the Klingon commander who's in charge, like you know, it basically delivers a, a very famous line. You know, you know, re, there's an old Klingon proverb that you know, uh, revenge the dish that's best served cold. cold. And he pulls off his helmet, and it's Khan. It's Benedict Cumberbatch, and and route but the goal was to have told this story about Jim Kirk realizing that you know that he could that he could balance um, his fears right of uh, of the life that he was leading um, and the risks that that life entailed against the responsibility that he felt toward his family and you know I, I I'm sad that we didn't get to make that movie. What, what, let me ask you a question. What, first of all, hearing this, my mind is racing with visual imagery of this cast taking on this scope in a Star Trek feature and wishing, what if, what if, but what was the ultimate thing that made Paramount hit the brakes, start from scratch, and bring on Simon Pegg and Doug Young and Justin Lin? Um, I think what truly what happened is this. So after, well, okay. After all that happened, um, and some of the politics had worked itself out, Bob and uh, and Zach and I went off to do Power Rangers. Okay, and for Lionsgate. For the, Lionsgate, the, re- the reimagining yeah, yeah. of. Power and Rangers. we were in the middle of beginning the middle of the beginning of that process when Bob suddenly had to drop out. Because I think Paramount realized that, you know, he was off, you know, producing this other movie when they wanted to be directing. And then I think, um, you know, uh, just a lot of things got complicated, I think, for for Bob in terms of making that film. And I think that there were just a lot of issues with development. I don't want to speak for him, but I I don't think that he was kind of super happy with the way things were were moving forward in Mm -hmm. terms of just what the expectations were for what the movie was going to be. Um, and ultimately, once Bob left that film, I, I think that the studio is still in that place where you go, the, the show must go on, mm-hmm. right? And then how do you how yeah. do you adjust to that? How do you yeah. fix that? Yeah. Well, again, you know, but the fact that they had to start from scratch and they did not push the movie back at all, 
they were on a, 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 an accelerated production schedule now, mm-hmm. starting a script from scratch. I think, you know, being inside baseball and everything, knowing this backstory, especially this backstory, like the movie actually turned out pretty good under the circumstances. <laughs> I think it turned out pretty well, good. I still don't think that Beyond is a perfect Star Trek movie. I'm excited that they're actually moving forward now with a fourth movie featuring the uh, well, you know, Noah Chris Hall. Maybe. Totally on that train. Maybe. I love Noah Hawley. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not. We'll see if it happens. I'm, I'm yeah. on the fence about the director. I've never seen, uh, what is it, Fargo? Legion. Mm. Uh, I've, never, I've never seen those shows, but I did see Lucy in the Sky. I like getting David Lynch bad. to direct Dune, but. <laughs> but, but no, I, I you know, was disappointed that the proposed Star Trek number four, as they were calling it, right. uh, that was going to bring back uh, Chris Hemsworth as George Kirk, that just made me immediately think, in terms of doing their own version of TOS, mm-hmm. that this was going to be a mirror universe story. Because mm-hmm. how else are you going to bring George Kirk back? Maybe in the mirror universe, George Kirk never died. And I just felt like, okay, well, instead of doing an actual time travel, this is going to be the Kelvin version of the mirror universe. Or perhaps the Kelvin verse has always been the mirror universe. <laughs> okay, <Right>. maybe. <laughs> well, why not? Too. Well, there's other pi- timelines Look, out there. And- I-, I just want to make a, a closing statement for me. Um, I don't hate these films. I really don't. I don't feel animosity toward You don't them. feel connected to them is what you're I saying. don't feel connected and I just feel sadness that they couldn't have been they couldn't have done more with the amazing toys that they had to play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well I will say to me what Ashley says is so I think one of the reasons it's so it is so heartbreaking that this did not see the light of projector pole besides the fact it would have been great to, wow. to see Ashley write a Star wow. Trek movie but um, is because as hard Star Trek works when it's about character the the stuff that works in Star Trek 2009 are the character moments the stuff that works in dark Into Darkness I know a lot of people hate Uhura and Spock bickering in the shuttle in front of I love that mm-hmm. because it's something I didn't see in the original and it, it's it's clever and it's a relationship that's a different spin but it's believable I bought and it to me it's character mm-hmm. I I like that, you know, and I love when Star Trek comes through to you, you know, exploring character. I think what, you know, Ashley and Zach would have done with Bob is, you know, character. It's not fan service. It's, it's you know, uh, you know, it's just a really smart way uh, to expand the universe. It would have been great. Um, and uh, I just, whatever the, the future brings, I hope that it really... Um, explores these characters in a deeper, more complex way and surprising way. You know, just explore the space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just felt like also just the, uh, uh, the, the nods to obviously the movie Beyond. I'm talking about was a, was a send off for Nimoy in its own way. Uh, that moment at the end where uh, the uh, Kelvin Spock uh, sees the picture of the original series crew. That really got to me, obviously. I hate that. That was earned for over a lifetime of it's love for that crew. It's a press photo. Just hang on. Uh, 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 come on. on it's fan it was a nice incarnate. moment, but it worked. As a fan of the original and of the, the original films, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and I also thought it was a very touching moment. Who is it still of the original crew we can use? I'm I got being, one. I bought it at a convention. I'm being a freaking fan and trying to uh, to show my love for these movies here. <laughs> so so let me have my moment. But the other moment, <laughs> I felt like. But your moment sport. is fading. He's such a good sport, this one. <laughs> the, the, the moment on the space station, you know, after they're rebuilding the, the new Enterprise, Enterprise A, I guess, you know, for the Kelvin universe, when. Kirk raises a, a glass and he says to, you know, to absent friends. And the camera shows mm. a, a wide shot of everybody 
and there's Anton Yelchin mm-hmm. as Chekhov, who had died like like crazy. It was a crazy, mm-hmm. crazy uh, freak uh, accident. So freak sad. accident. So freak sad. Accident. So so sad. Just a month before. Yeah. Star Trek Beyond opened June twentieth, two thousand sixteen. It was a Sunday when I when I first saw the news, and it was just a nice moment because you know when he says to absent friends, it doesn't do a one shot of Anton Yelchin, but you see him standing there. It was definitely a deliberate thing on the part of Justin Lin to uh, to you know call him out. I mean, and I just thought the movie worked on a lot of levels. Not a perfect film. I still have issues with it, but. As a glasses half full kind of guy, or a glasses uh, almost full kind of guy, there's a whole lot, a lot to love about Star Trek Beyond. Uh, there was some rotten milk for me in that glass, but uh, <laughs> you know that's what makes horse races. You know we said it before. It's like the great thing, the reason with the show, our show sustains is because each week we can discuss these things from different perspectives, yeah. and you know it'd be really boring if we all agreed about everything. That's for sure. Because <laughs> then we'd just be telling the same stories over and over again. Well, that could be interesting too. But uh, but I love that moment at the end of by any other name when Kirk calls see. the bridge and he says, "Turn the ship around," and he straightens his shirt. We're going home. See, and, that, <laughs> and on that note, we can all agree. But I, I want to get go back to Ashley just to, to sort of sum up, you know, uh, because we need to wrap up. But where does where do we go from here? You know, and 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 what's your final takeaway on what uh, what happened with Beyond and the the legacy of Beyond and and, and where Star Trek goes as a movie franchise from here? Um, my final take on Beyond is you know I I have nothing but nice things to say about about Bob. Uh, he was a, a total mensch uh, through that entire process, and again, that dude loves his Star Trek. Um, and honestly, JJ treated us very well as well. I mean, I don't really have anything negative to say about, you know, what happened in that process at all. It's just, it's a process, man. Making movies is hard. It's a, it's a miracle that they get made at all, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean. Now more than ever. Now more than ever, for sure. Um, and nobody, you know, whether you love that movie or you hate that movie, you know, nobody sets out to make a movie that you don't love. Nobody does that, right? Everybody, well, I guess except for Stuart Baird and Star Trek Nemesis. Oh, like, oh. Every, <laughs> people, generally speaking, you know, pour themselves into these things. Um, and they're just really difficult to do. I, I think that, um, you know, moving forward, I am... I'm very optimistic about the the Noah Hawley Star Trek. I think that uh, I think he's brilliant. Um, I think he could potentially do something very interesting and I think, unexpected. And unexpected, I hope so. very sci-fi, but also very very character driven, um, which I think is is where Star Trek wants to live. Because if you can marry that devotion to character and emotionally connect them to these big science fiction ideas, and then you put that against you know this this very large um backdrop of a of a feature film scale i i think there's an opportunity to do something special but it all has to come down to the characters and their emotional relationship with that thing because when it's not there it doesn't work it's why we can still talk fondly about star trek 5 even though i mean come on we all know the reason why they put the seat belts in the theater that summer you know it just because the stuff with the characters was great yeah. It's like that's that's what I we agree with you about. Sorry. And yeah. also, you know, as long as they move forward, and I'm sure I'll have your back on this, Doc, is just, just stop trying to be something else. Mm-hmm. Just be Star Trek. Yeah, stop absolutely. trying to be 
the MCU, Star Wars. Stop trying to do that. Just be Star, be Star Trek. Trek. And just and just to give you uh, to bring it back to the beginning when you were reading fan reviews of Inglorious Trexperts. So you I wrote was, that one, didn't you? That two uh, story. I, I did not. <laughs> but Scott was great. But the uh, the other night. I was at my happy place, which is the Arclight Cinema mm. in Hollywood. It's mm. my favorite place to go to. And I was there because I was doing the Q&A with Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. Which is right. great. And it, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. And it was a sold-out screening, 820 seats at the Dome. Mm. And every seat, everybody stayed for the Q&A. After the Q&A, you know, Ryan's like, you know, signing autographs, posing for pictures. And I'm just, I just like to sneak out, you know. As I'm walking out, somebody comes up to me and goes, you're Scott Mance. And I said, yeah. You know, like, uh-oh. And he, he says, oh, I'm con. a big fan. And I'm trying to figure out, like, where does he know me from? Is it, you know, like Collider? Is it KTLA? And maybe he's one of the three people who actually watched Access Hollywood. <laughs> so he goes, I heard your podcast on Inglorious Trexperts about Star oh. Trek 2009. And he says that was some of the best conversation I ever heard anyone have about anything that had anything to do with Star Trek. That's awesome. That's, nice. so, that's, that's really nice. So there you go. I know. Look, and we appreciate you you coming into the lion's den again uh, because, you know, obviously <laughs> – yeah. uh, but, you know, I, and we said at the end last time, we'll say it again, we're all friends. Nobody expects anybody to change their opinion. Nobody is damning somebody for, no. you know, th- what they love. It, you know, it's great. I wish we all could love everything. Well, because damned, we but... embrace infinite diversity – and infinite, infinite combinations, except that one. I will never forget sitting next to you at Beyond, and I mean, we were, <laughs> you know, we both went into darkness. And I think we both came out with similar feelings. Yeah, about we there did. was a lot to like. There mm-hmm. was a lot we didn't, mm-hmm. but you know, at Beyond, it was, it was we, we couldn't have been more diametrically opposed, and neither of us could fathom the other person's feelings I, about yeah, it. Yeah, I remember that night, you know, vividly. Like, how could you not like it? How could you like it? It yeah. was great, and it's funny because Ed Gross also loved it. And so you guys were like, oh, I don't understand Altman. And, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just if Captain Kirk never rides a motorcycle again, I'll be very happy. <laughs> so anyway, Scott, thank you so much sure. for uh, joining us. Ashley, welcome back. Thank, thank you, you for joining us and sharing your Star Trek memories. Yeah, that's your a great, Star Trek that's a great story. Uh, beyond. Um, and thank you, audience, except for that one schmuck. Uh, <laughs> now, no, now. actually, thank you. Like we said, we tolerate all opinions. And if that's your opinion, that's well, that's your opinion, well, too. Well, that's your opinion, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, now, thank you, everyone, for joining us for Inglorious Trexperts. And uh, we're all big enough to take a few insults, I would say. Hey. And uh, if you're a fan of this uh, podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's (laughs) other podcasts, like the 430 Movie, in which a panel of filmmakers curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies every Friday, as uh, well as Best Movies Never Made every other Monday. Now, uh, you can also stream video podcasts of all your favorite Electric Surge shows on Electric Now. Download the Stir, Zumo, or Distro TV apps on your tablet, phone, or TV, and you can watch us... Well, I was going to say live and in person. You can't watch us live, but you can watch us, <laughs> nor in person, but you can watch us on uh, these wonderful apps. The Electric Now channel is great. Uh, new episodes, not new episodes, but you can watch episodes of Leverage, Outpost, uh, Librarians, a lot of different movies, and of course, all our Electric Search podcasts. So check it out. I really enjoy watching it until my kids come in and call me out on it. <laughs> also, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and you too may uh, have your review read on the show in the uh, before, future. Wait, wait, I just want to say if you agree with me about Star Trek Beyond, if you disagree with me about Star Trek Beyond, 
or Into Darkness or 2009, hit me up on Twitter at MovieMance. I want to know who you are. That's at MovieMance. Let me know. Great point, please. Beyond. Continue the conversation at MovieMance at Inglorious Trek on Twitter or on Instagram at Inglorious Trexperts. And do you have an Instagram account, Scott? Uh, yes, at Movie Mance. At Movie Mance also. So let Scott know. He 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 he. Uh, he needs love to hear back. from you. He wants to hear from you. Uh, it'll be the Citizen Kane of uh, Twitter feeds. So finally, a very special thanks to uh, Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including producers Natalie Miscali and, of course, Dean Devlin, without whom the show would not be possible. Thank you, guys. Another great show in the books. And we'll see you uh, next week uh, in Gloriously. What? We'll trek. Uh, oh, we'll keep on trekking and Gloriously, of course. And don't go flipping. Oh, and don't forget the 50-year mission. <laughs> <laughs> now in paperback. Check it out. Oh, wow. Available wherever books are sold. Look, it's it's less hefty. And you by can the carry way, it around. I got to be interviewed for that. You were interviewed for the book, and you talk about how great Metamorphosis is. Go figure. <laughs> your mission in paperback, wherever books are sold. See you next week. Shh. Engage. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.